Well, good morning, everybody. <laughs> oh, good, you answered. Man, first service. Either those people aren't saved or they weren't awake. I don't know. It was a joke. Listen to you people. Oh, golly, man, you people are so easily offended. Okay, so it was really fun, first service. It was like, uh, well, it wasn't fun. Anyway, so... Uh, Another joke. Do I need to hold up my hand when I'm kidding you? Or Okay. I didn't think Texas was politically correct. Okay, anyway. So, um... wow, I'm just digging a hole, aren't I? Okay, I better stop. I better stop. It is really, it's fun to be here on a Sunday morning. Usually after I do a show at a church, I'm usually not invited back for at least a couple of years. So uh, it's kind of fun to be right back. Usually I'm hauled into the elder's office for a meeting. And, uh, and then, you know, the restraining order is signed and, uh, you know, and then a couple of years later I'm back. So, but no, it's, it's so good to be here on a Sunday morning. Although, uh, I, you know, for 15 years I, I had to be, uh, uh, there on Sunday mornings cause <laughs> I got paid. And, uh, so I was a pastor for 15 years, five in Nashville, 10 in Georgia. And, you know, I, I you know, I found I could endure a little discomfort for, for money. So, um, boy, you people aren't really going to do anything, are you? Man, golly, I guess comedy is an evening event, I guess. Okay. But, uh, and I know some of you don't want to be here, do you? You really don't, you know, because you know all over America this morning, ladies were going in and waking up, guys going, get up, come on, time to go to church. And he's like, I don't want to go to church. Come on, you have to go to church. I don't want to go to church. I don't like those people and they don't like me. Come on, you have to go. I don't want to go. Give me one reason why I have to go. Well, you're the honey, you're the pastor. You have to go. (laughs) Here you go, Ron. Okay, so anyway. But really, it is good to be here. And I know that sometimes the church uh, gets a bad rap, but I want to remind you, church was God's idea. And I actually love church. I you know, I, you know, with all its ups and all its downs, all its goods, all its bads, the you know, church was still God's idea, and we have to get over that. And part of the reason that we, we have church is that, it, you know, if you, uh, I heard somebody say this one time, I don't know who, who, fasc- who coined this phrase, but it really is a good, it really is a good description of it. You know, um, church is a lot like Noah's Ark, okay? It's stinky, and it's uncomfortable, and sometimes it Got a lot of poop in it. But if you get out, you'll die. <laughs> so it's better to stay inside and deal with the stink and the poop and be rescued, okay? And church is where you figure it out, you know? And, and that's why I want to talk about marriage because sometimes it gets a little uncomfortable, doesn't it? And if you don't think marriage is uncomfortable sometimes, then you haven't been married very long. Because marriage is tough. You get two sinners under the same roof, it gets a little sporty, doesn't it? And like we said last night, love is blind, but marriage is an eye opener. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And it is. And as I I, uh, shared with the audience last night, October the 14th, soon to be Cam's uh, wedding day, um, Kathy and I will celebrate 30 years of marriage and I am, I, and it's taken a lot of work and it's not always been easy. And in fact, my, my daughter-in-law was over at our house the other night and she was thanking Kathy and I, she said, cause 
you know, our, our daughter-in-law, Kathy and I grew up both from broken homes. And our daughter-in-law, she said, you know, thank you that at least, you know, on Graham's side of the family, we only have to go to one place for Thanksgiving and Christmas. And, you know, we said, you're welcome. But Kathy said, you know, baby, it's, it's been a lot of work. It's hard. You, and we, we, we did it on purpose. She said, there were times when, you know, we, we didn't like each other, but we stayed together. And we did it on purpose. And we were intentional, you know. And that's what I want to talk to you this morning about is being intentional. And one of the things that I found, and I, 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 I want to talk to people who, who think that just because you go to a lot of conferences and, and marriage stuff that, that you know, that, that's going to help. You can go to a lot of conferences and still not be good at, at your marriage. You, you can go to a lot of conferences and still not be a very good Christian. Because you can get a lot of information and still really stink at being a Christian. Did you know that? How do you like me now? Right? You can have all this information, but you can still be one of the meanest people on the planet. Do you know that the Pharisees knew a lot, but boy, were they mean. And that's one of the things I've learned about. Boy, Christians sure can be mean. And what I want to talk to you about this morning may make some of you a little uncomfortable because it made me uncomfortable first. Okay, and I'm not going to talk to you about a guy that's been there and, or that hasn't been there and done that. I'm not a guy that's like, there it is, go get it. I'm a guy that's been there and has come back and I'm going to do the slow walk with you. I'm not going to talk to you about things that I know. I'm going to talk to you about things that I'm learning. Okay? I was speaking at an event one time and a mentor of mine was there. And when I was speaking, it was a big conference and I was good. <laughs> I was good. I was taking notes on myself. I was that good. <laughs> and afterwards, I went backstage, and one of my mentors was there, and my body language was screaming, huh? Huh? Ha. Huh. And he just gently put his arm around my shoulder and pulled me in, and he looked at me, and he said, wow, you sure do know a lot. And he didn't have to say another word. I knew what he meant, and my heart just sunk. And then he said this, he said, see, but it's so unbecoming to stand up in front of a bunch of people and tell them everything you know, but it's so much more lovely to tell them what you're learning. And I've never forgotten that. So I don't want to tell you what I know. I want to tell you what I'm learning, okay? Because I don't want to do that. I don't want to stand up here and act like I have it all together. What I'm telling you this morning is what I'm learning. I want to be a good student. To be a good teacher, you've got to be a good student. To be a good, to be a good leader, you have to be a good follower, and so everything that I'm going to talk to you about this morning is stuff that I'm trying to put into practice. And hopefully the guys that have been around me, by the way, I love your, your team, all the guys, Cam and Cody and David and Matt and everybody. You guys, have, you guys are spoiled with the, the people that work here, Brian and Edie and your staff. You guys are spoiled. I travel a lot, and there's a lot of jerks. I mean, there's a lot of hard people to work with in uh, churches. But you guys have an amazing team of people. They're so wonderful that I just, I want to tip them, but I'm not. But anyway, so um, <laughs> I'll wash their cars. But I just, I really, you guys are spoiled, and uh, I, hope you, I hope you appreciate them. But I want, to, I want to read a verse to you. I want to show you something about being intentional in your marriage. One of the things that I'm fascinated with is how sometimes we compartmentalize. We take scriptures, and if we're not careful, we apply them to other people, but we don't apply them to our spouses. 
You know, when you're reading the, the words of Jesus after the Last Supper, when he's, when, he's, when he's tenderly speaking to the disciples, and it's the stuff that he's talking about, what I'm fascinating with, fascinated with is that Jesus is about to go to the cross, and he knows exactly what's going to happen, and yet he's tenderly speaking to them and loving them, and Peter's popping off, and Jesus doesn't go, Peter, just shut up. You know, he's, 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 he's under a lot of duress, but he's still gently speaking to Peter and loving on him. And he tells them this thing, all men will know you're my disciples by the way you love each other. And we use that in this phrase about how as Christians we need to love each other. But we never apply that verse to our marriages. All men will know we're disciples, his disciples, by the way we love our spouse. How can we export something to the world that doesn't work in the most important relationship in your life? Which is the relationship between your husband and your wife. And so well, I don't want to bear down on that, but what I want to do is I want to take one verse and I want, I want to read this one verse and then I want you to stop with me because I, as I said last night, sometimes when we read the Bible and we know it, we miss some of the beauty of the story. I, I shared last night that if you know stories and you're so familiar with them, you miss all the really cool stuff that can happen. Like if you don't know what's going to happen with Abraham and Isaac going up the mountain, if you know how that ends, you kind of miss the drama of it. You know, because you know that the ram's in the thicket and Abraham's going to have the sacrifice. But if you don't know that, that's one creepy story. You know, Abraham's going up and Isaac's popping off going, Hey, Dad, we got the fire and we got, I mean, we got the fire and we got the wood and we got the knife and the rope, but <laughs> where's the sacrifice? And you're thinking, man, Isaac, how thick are you? Run. <laughs> and you're also thinking, Abraham, what kind of sick, twisted old man are you, Right. So there's a lot of things that we don't, we, we, we miss because we know it. Well, I want you to look at this one verse. If you don't have your Bible, look up on the screen. This is Ephesians 4.1. It says this, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Now, just stop right there. Don't read any further. Just stop right there. Now, Paul, by the way, is not using hyperbole. He's actually a prisoner. He's in jail. He's not like some of us who kind of, you know, glorify sometimes the work that we do. Well, you know, I'm just, you know, suffering for Jesus. Paul's actually in jail. He's telling this story from a prison cell. He's writing this letter to the, to the church at Ephesus in jail. And he says, I, want, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Now, first of all, that word calling, sometimes people have kind of taken that word and hijacked it and used it as a word that it doesn't mean what it means. Sometimes that word calling, you've heard people say, well, you know, I've been called to preach and I've been called to ministry. And it almost sounds like I'm better than you. I'm entitled now. I've been called to preach. And all of a sudden we're supposed to go, ooh, he's got a calling. You know what the word calling means? It means invitation. That's it. Ding. In other words, I've been invited to preach. You may break it down a little bit more. It simply means this. I have been invited to be your servant. Ah, oh, crud. That's all it means. It means that I have been invited to serve you. <laughs> Not get a special parking spot. Not to be treated well. It means that I have been invited to be the servant of all. Oh, man. 
But in our Western culture, it's, I've been given a calling. It's like this. I have invited you to come to my house for dinner, but if you treat it like a calling, you're going to come over to my house. Hello, I've been called to your house for dinner. Excuse me, I'm going to go into the kitchen and make sure that the preparations are to my liking. And you're going to walk into my kitchen and start messing with my recipe, and you're never going to come to my house for dinner again. Thank you very much. Think about it. Puts a different spin on it, doesn't it? You see, Paul's invitation to ministry has landed him in a prison cell. Yippee. Isn't that funny? I want to live a life worthy of the invitation I've received. Now, if you don't go any further and you don't know what he's going to say next, how would you fill in that blank? I want to live a life worthy of the invitation I've received. Well, what should we do? Well, we go to church. We volunteer, and if you really want to live a life worthy and go to heaven, you volunteer for children's ministry. (laughs) And if you really want to get to heaven, you volunteer for vacation Bible school. Yeah, buddy, then you're really going to heaven. You volunteer for, for missions trips. You tithe. And if you really want to get in good with God, you offerings too. Tithes and offerings. And if you want to be really pious, you don't smoke, you don't chew, and you don't go with girls who do. (laughs) Praise him. (laughs) I pray every day I have a quiet time just for me and Jesus. Right? I have a perfect attendance record. I go to Sunday school. I just listened to Christian radio. All the downloads on my iPod are Christian music. I'm such a good person. I'm living a life worthy of the imitation I've received. I'm such a good Christian. Yay, me. Hmm. God's so proud of me. That's what I'd think. I've got some bad news. (laughs) You ready? You know what Paul says is next? Here we go. Hold on to your butts. Here we go. I urge you to live a life worthy of the invitation or calling you received. You ready? Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Oh, crap. Can I say crap in Texas? Oh, good. Crap. Oh, crap. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Oh, man. Wait a minute. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another. Wait, 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 wait. You mean to live a life worthy of the invitation I've received has nothing to do with my works and my acts and all of the stuff that I do before God But apparently what I just read says this. My spiritual maturity is measured in heaven, not what I do for God or before God or in my efforts to God. It is measured by how I treat you. And everybody said, oh, crap. Really? Oh, my goodness. Wait a minute. You mean all this stuff, all this quiet time, 
all this Bible memorization, all this money that I've been giving, all of this volunteering, all of this stuff that I've been doing for God that you get to see really doesn't count for much? Apparently not. Apparently the true test of my spiritual maturity has everything to do with how I treat you because that's what God is keeping an eye on. Wow. You see, I can be spiritually schizophrenic, can I? I can go to conference after conference after conference, and I can be ever going after spiritual maturity and never achieving it by coming home and learning all this stuff and then snapping at my wife and using spiritual-sounding lingo and Bible knowledge as a weapon to shame and humiliate my wife. Or, turn it around, wives, to shame and humiliate your husband for not being the spiritual leader he's supposed to be. The scripture teaches us very clearly, too, we're supposed to be submitted, therefore, one to another in love. There's kind of a, there's kind of a mutual submitment in su- submitting one to another in love. We forget that. Did you know that the Bible says, wives, submit to your husbands three times in that passion, pas- passage? In Ephesians, submit to your husbands. Wives, submit to your husbands. Wives, submit to your husbands. Did you know that nine times it says husbands, love your wives, 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 love your wives. Did you know that? Three times it says submit to your husbands. Nine times it says love your wives. How do you like me now? You want to be intentional? Do you want your wives to submit to you before the Lord? Why don't you try loving her nine times more than she submits to you? Praise him. <laughs> you with me? Hum, be, be completely humble. Be gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another. Well, let's break those down. You know what the word humble means there? It simply means this. It's not this humble thing where we feign humility, where somebody walks up and says, oh, thank you for doing that. Oh, praise the Lord. Just give glory to God. Don't do that. That is so mean. Do you know what you've just done? When somebody comes up and thanks you for doing something, like you've done some kind of kingdom work and somebody walks up to you and says, hey man, thank you for doing that. I go, oh, just praise the Lord. I just thank. You know what you've done? You have just cruelly rebuked someone who is just trying to thank you for something. You've just embarrassed them and really kind of embarrassed yourself. Just thank them. Just go, thank you for noticing. I appreciate the encouragement. You've actually just hurt, wounded someone. That is not becoming. That is not lovely, and God doesn't really appreciate that. It's not lovely at all. It's actually quite cruel. When someone innocently just walks up and says, hey, thank you for serving, and thank you, that really ministered to me, just go, thank you. I appreciate the encouragement. That means a lot to me that you even notice and let it go. You want to know what humility is? First of all, do you know what Brahms is? Y'all have Brahms? See, we don't have Brahms in Georgia. I love Brahms chocolate milk. Brahms chocolate milk? It's from heaven. (laughs) But don't drink a quart in one sitting. (laughs) See, I don't get it, and I did that. Thank God I didn't have a show that night. Let's just say I was stuck in my hotel room that night. It affects your plumbing. Let's just say if you drink a whole quart. 
but I'm in a Brahms and, and there was one, there was just one chocolate milk left, you know, and there was a lady behind me who had three kids and she was having a bad day. And the kids, mommy, I want chocolate milk. I want chocolate milk. And I'm sitting there thinking in my head, boy, sure stinks to be you. <laughs> you know what true humility is? It's all this true humility, humility in this particular passage. You know what it means? It means to put another's needs ahead of your own. That's it. I don't need the chocolate milk, as you can plainly tell. I don't need it because of what it does to me. True humility, in this case, is to say, ma'am, before anybody else gets here, why don't you go ahead of me and get that little, that little child some chocolate milk? That's all it means. It's not this glorious thing where it's like, well, you know, I've been going on missions trips, and I've been sending... That, that's, that's, that's broadcasting your good works and looking for it. Humility is going, you, you go get the chocolate milk. It's just a simple thing. But we make humility this thing that it's not. And humility, according to, to what Paul is saying, the humility that God is looking for is just me treating you with kindness and, and putting your needs ahead of mine. That's what humility is. It's not this great, grandiose thing that we try to make it out to be. It's just putting your needs ahead of mine. And just this momentary thing. And it's just being supernaturally. We talk about the supernatural, and I love the supernatural. I love when God heals. I love when all of a sudden you're standing next to somebody and God puts something in your heart and you say something to them. They go, how did you know that? And you go, I didn't. I just felt like God told me to tell you that. Wow, that's great. But you do it super naturally. You're just natural with it. That's what God's looking for. To be gentle. <laughs> you, know, you know what the word gentle means in the Greek? It, it means a horse that allows itself to be ridden by a rider. It's an unbroken horse that allows itself. It means that the horse can throw the rider, but it doesn't. It simply means this. When somebody's bowing up on you and you have the right, you're the boss, you're the parent. And somebody's bowing up on you, you don't bow back. Give me a real-time example. Your kid comes home at 11.05 and curfew is 11. When that kid walks in the door, the first thing you do isn't, where were you? It's 11.05. The first thing you say is, are you Okay. Yeah, mom, dad, I'm sorry. Is everything go? Yeah. You know your past curve. Yeah, it's good. Okay. Because what you do is you go, you know what? I remember coming in after curfew. I remember my parents tearing me a new one. Because what's going to happen is if you bow up on them, you remember that when you, when God, when you violated some of God's rules, that God didn't bow up on you, did he? Right? God had every right to bow up on you. And he didn't, you see. Can, can I make it real simple? This whole thing, how, how do we treat, basically, just treat other people the way God treated you and me. Can I make it that simple? Can I make a real fine point here? How, just treat God, treat others the way God treated me. God put my needs ahead of his by going to the cross, didn't he? Jesus wants to make sure I'm Okay. When your kid comes in five minutes late, is everything okay? Yeah, you all right? Yeah. You're grounded. So make sure everything's okay. But if you lead with, you're ten minutes late, you're five minutes late, what does it tell the child? That the rules are more important than your relationship. What about your spouse? See, you've got to be intentional with this. You've got to put your relationship ahead of the rules. You've got to put your relationship, your concern, and your compassion for your spouse over the rules. Or you're going to be in big trouble. To be gentle. To be completely humble. Putting their needs ahead of your own. 
to be gentle. Don't bow up, even if they're bowing up on you. That when you bow up, when they bow up, you don't bow back, even though you're in the position of power and you can bow up. Patient. Oh, I love that one. Be patient. <laughs> Have you all ever prayed for patience? Don't ever do that. That is the stupidest thing you could ever do. Why would you pray for something you already have? Let me understand this. We're created in the image of God, right? So in seed form, we have the fruit of the Spirit within us. We have it in us. We have, if we're created in the image of God, we have it in there. We have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control already in there. It's kind of like going to a gym and joining the gym and paying all that money, putting on the clothes and walking into the middle of the gym and praying for muscles. Lord, I just pray for muscles. I pray for triceps and biceps. And at my age, at 58, I'd like some glutes, please. Can I have some glutes? And you're going to be in the middle of the gym. Go, Lord, I just pray for muscles. Now, believe in Jesus' name for muscles. Believe in for muscles. They're going to escort you out and be the one customer that gets his money back. <laughs> it's kind of silly, isn't it? If you want muscles, what do you got to do? You got to exercise them. So when you pray for patience, guess what? God gives you opportunities to exercise your patience. That's what happens, isn't it? You pray for patience, and all of a sudden, you're in this scenario and this scenario, and you're screaming at God going, why are you doing this to me? You ask for patience. I'm just, giving, I'm just answering your prayer. Here's your opportunity to exercise what you already have. And then it says, bearing with one another. I love that part. Bear, make, every, I love, make, make every effort to keep the bond of, unity uh, with the, in the, keeping the bonds of unity. I'm sorry, I'm missing the verse. I'm trying to hurry. I'm looking at the clock. And I'm going, oh my gosh, I'm way behind time. It, it says, bear with one another. Uh, do you know why it says bear with one another? Do you know why it says that? Because Jesus knows there are some unbearable people on the planet. Did you know that there are unbearable people on this planet? Look around the room. They're in here. No, go ahead. Look around. They're here. They are here. They are in this room. They are in this very room. Why would it say bear with one another if there are no unbearable people? Surprise. So let's look what it says here. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in In love, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you you are called to one hope. When you are called to one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And that verse right there kind of interrupts your little get-out-of-jail-free card that says, well, I'm just not good with people. Well, then you make God a liar. Because according to what Paul says, Christ has apportioned grace to every single one of us. And what you've decided is, you've decided that you're not good with people by your choice. I'm just not good with people. Well, then that's your choice. Because Christ has apportioned grace to each one of us. That's all y'all. Not just y'all, but all y'all. That includes me too. We kind of give ourselves permission to say, well, I'm just not a people person. Well, you have grace. It's been apportioned to you. And that grace is to be applied, especially in your home, to your spouse, to your children. But you've got to be intentional. And it happens to all of us. It happened to the disciples. One of my favorite stories is Mark chapter 9. They were out ministering, and they get into the house, and Jesus is already in the house. I'm going to read this later. 
And when the disciples walk in the house, Jesus goes, hey, what were you guys arguing about on the road? And they get, God bless you. Just saved another marriage. (laughs) If you were here last night, you know what I'm talking about. What were you guys arguing about on the road? And they went, nobody said a word. You see, what they were arguing about on the road was who among the 12 was the greatest. Now, they're walking with the Lord of the universe, guy who walks on water, raises dead people, and they're talking about among them who's the greatest among them. Talk about being a little cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, if you know what I mean. And they're arguing about who's the greatest among them. Boy, you want to talk about, you know, an exercise in futility. And he talks to them about, if you want to be the greatest, you've got to become the least and all that. And that's an intentional thing. I've learned that. You don't become the least by osmosis. You don't become the least. You don't become the last by accident. What I've learned, according to that story in Luke about going to the, to the least position, I've learned that you have to intentionally find the, the chair with the weak leg and go sit in it so nobody else does and potentially falls and embarrasses themselves. That's an intentional move. You don't accidentally or by osmosis go and sit in the chair or the seat of low position. You find it and you intentionally go to it. You don't, by osmosis or unintentionally, become compassionate. You don't, by osmosis or unintentionally, become gentle. You don't, by osmosis or unintentionally, become humble. You have to intentionally do it. It's not human nature. You have to seek out and do it. You have to want to do it. You have to pursue it. You have to pull yourself toward it. It's like trying to go to the bottom of the pool. You have to absolutely grab a rope that's attached to the bottom of the pool and pull yourself down because your natural buoyancy and our natural tendency as human beings is to float to the surface. You have to want to do this. Well, how do we do this? It is so counterintuitive. How do we do this? I'm glad you asked. Because it's one thing to say all these things and talk about this and then leave you and say, okay, go, go out and do it. The scripture actually teaches us how to do it. You guys are all familiar with the, uh, the, uh, the armor of God, right? Do you know about, you know, you know your spiritual underwear? Do you know your spiritual armor? Do you know about your spiritual underwear? Did you know that the Bible talks about spiritual underwear? I found it. It's that stuff that you put on under your armor. Because if you don't have on your spiritual underwear to put on your armor, a lot of people walk around with their spiritual armor on, and the armor makes you kind of hard to be around. Because when you got your spiritual armor on, it's kind of, it's kind of rubs you, and you'll be pulling out your sword and hacking people's heads off left and right just because you're cranky. But there's a spiritual underwear that you have to intentionally put on. Let me show it to you. It's in in Colossians 3. And it says this in Colossians 3, verse 12. And it starts out with this. It says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility. Here come those words again. 
gentleness, patience, bear with each other. Here we go. Got to bear with unbearable people. Bear with each other and forgive what other grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Oh, there's a fun one. And over, over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now, when you and I were little, when we were babies, our parents clothed us. They dressed us. We got a little bit older. We started to learn to dress ourselves. And by the time you were in high school, if you were a typical child, you dressed yourself before you went to school. Now, if you were a typical child, it would be really inappropriate for you to stand in your underoos as a high schooler and go, Mom, Dad, I'm ready for school. Come dress me. That's not good. But yet that's what a lot of us as grown-ups do in the church. We still want God to wave his magic wand and make us into this Christian that we don't make any effort to do. That's why Paul said, stop drinking, or Peter said, stop drinking milk, but eat some meat. The Bible says to clothe yourselves, put on your own clothes. Stop asking God to wave this magic wand that he doesn't have. It's up to you and I to put on. On our spiritual clothes. And we know the, blood, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the sword of the Spirit, our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel, the helmet of salvation. We know all those things. But what about that spiritual underwear that goes on to make us a little bit more humble, a little bit more gentle, a little bit more patient, a little bit more compassionate? See, I put on my spiritual underpants. Here's my compassion. Here's my humility. And I put it on. It's silly sometimes if I do it. Because I have to put it on. And then there's times when I want to take it off. Because I don't always want to be compassionate. I don't always want to be humble. I don't always want to be gentle. But I've learned that I have to intentionally do these things. I have been married for almost 30 years. And as I told the audience last night, we are going through menopause right now. I never know who I'm coming home to. I don't even know who she is. Like She'll go through a doorway, and when she comes back, she's somebody totally different. It's like living with a polar bear. I really don't know. I know the house is always cold. And I'm always in imminent danger. I always. <laughs> She's scary. And there's times where she'll be growling one minute. And then she's crying, I don't know why I'm this way. And I'm like, I don't know either. <laughs> and I have to be compassionate. And then she'll say, thank you for being so compassionate. And I go, I know. And then she'll go, stop being so weak. I'm like, I can't win. Okay. Is this any of this making sense? I hope so. Because marriage is where I'm, I've learned the most. I thought I was the most generous person on the planet till I got married. And then I realized, man, I'm one selfish cat. I thought I was the most patient person on the planet till we had children. And then I realized, man, I am one impatient dude. 
I thought I was pretty gentle until I had a wife and kids. And I gave myself permission to be cranky because I was under a lot of pressure. And then I read John 13 through 18, and I watched the Savior of the world under incredible duress wash the feet of his disciples knowing what deadline he's got to meet. And I realized I've got to do this intentionally. I've got to intentionally put on my spiritual underwear. It doesn't happen by osmosis. I'm not that good. And none of you are either. Nobody in this room is, is you know, unintentionally that good, are you? Anybody here that good without Jesus? Anybody here that wonderful? No. We're all sinners. We're all sinners saved by grace through faith. And it's, it's amazing how in our families that we've had this pressure to pose and feel like we've got to fake it till we make it. You don't have to fake anything. All you have to do is cry out and say, God, I can't do this on my own. But thank you for letting me know that. That I don't have to fake this. I can cry out to you and ask you for some help. And you tell me how to do it. You tell me what I need to do and how I need to do it. That I, as an act of my will and as a decision, say, I'm going to put on compassion. I choose compassion. I choose humility. I choose gentleness. I choose to exercise patience. I choose not to seek my way all the time. I choose to communicate what I would like, but I defer to the other people in my family. And I'm going to be intentional about seeking out what you need and what you need and what you need because you are my spouse and you are my child and I love you. Yes, I would like to have my needs met. Yes, I would like to have my way sometimes. But what I want more than anything is to be fashioned into the image of Christ. And as I lead that way, maybe you'll have an example to follow. And our family will start to be restored. And maybe you'll have an example to follow. And maybe the drama and the dysfunction of our family will start to end because one of us chose to put on their spiritual underwear. And it might be easier for the next one and the next one and the next one and the next one. Be intentional. It only takes one. Father, thank you that your word is true. Thank you that it's enlightening. Thank you that it sets us free. And thank you that it's not as hard as we sometimes make it to be. Forgive us for making it so complicated and forgive us for making it sometimes more hyper-spiritual than it really is. It's kind of practical. I pray for every person in this room that has been going to conference after conference after conference and they're not really getting anything because they have not chosen to put into practice what they've been learning. They've been expecting other people to change or... They've been expecting, God, for you to wave this magic wand that you don't have to fix them instead of them taking responsibility to put on their spiritual undergarments.
to put on compassion, put on humility, put on gentleness, to be patient, bearing with one another, to forgive as they have been forgiven. So, Lord, to just put a simple cap on this talk this morning, to simply treat other people the way that you have treated us, and to give others what you have given to us. To treat others the way you've treated us, and to give others what you've given us. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Steve.